Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. So often we are not raised and encouraged to have questions. And so the minute those doubts begin to creep in, you think, oh no, all of this is wrong. The fact that I'm questioning whether God exists or whether God sent his son or that Jesus matters must mean that it's not real. And we haven't been equipped and taught how to successfully navigate our doubts. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. So because Andrew is in the middle of doing a movie, I'm solo parenting a lot. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, very long days. And if you have children, you know, long days lead to little patience. And the other morning, uh, I came to my oldest and I said, hey, I'm so sorry for my outburst this morning. And she said, oh, it's, it's not your first one. I was like, oh, no, I, I know that. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm sorry for the, the outburst this morning, the, the first one today. But she didn't stop. She just kept going. She was like, there have been so many. I can't even count. <laughs> I, I Making just, you feel great about your parents. I just didn't know where to go from that. Because I'm like, kid, I'm trying to be the, the adult here by apologizing. Yeah. And you are just reminding me of all the fails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you were going to restore your sense of dignity with this apology and she just yeah, crushed no, you like a cockroach she didn't listen to it she was she was still going like just <laughs> going on and on and matter of factly i really wanted to quote to her like love keeps no record of wrongs child <laughs> do you know that scripture because right now you're keeping a list and i don't like it Ooh. <laughs> but she wasn't i mean she wasn't wrong there yeah. have been a lot. There have been a lot. I, I keep us humble. I was a fantastic mother, patient, gentle, caring. And then I had kids. Mm-hmm. It brought out things in me. Yes. So, mm. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Take all the <laughs> wheels. Um, I treat, I kind of realized recently that I treat two of my kids different from different two of my kids because two of them have an attitude and it feels like, oh, well, I know how to play that game. <laughs> you play so. attitude, you'll get attitude, my friends. <laughs> and then the other two are, they can just, they're just the sweet and loving bubbly ones and they get all the reactions to that effect. My MO is just to basically treat children like small adults. Mm-hmm. which does not make for very compassionate, tender parenting. It makes for slightly sassy parenting. Mm-hmm. It makes for some straight shooting, call it like it is parenting. But now yeah, I'm yeah. not the mom you come to when you're like, mom, I just feel, I'm like, suck it up. What is suck wrong it up, here? buttercup. Exactly. I'm like, why are we crying again? But you have four girls. So there's oh. like the odds are not in your favor as that being a long-term strategy, Joe. No, no, but it's okay. It's okay because when my children look at me and tell me they wish their aunt was their mother. Oh boy. <laughs> I just smile at them and say, God gives you what you need. Yes. <laughs> but it's good. Cheers. It's good. I'm creating these tough children and also mm-hmm. they're the sweetest, the tenderest kids. And the silver lining in all of this is I'm giving them something to talk about 
later as siblings, adults, adult yes. siblings, because that's really all we're aiming for is we just want to create further uh, yeah. bonds between you. You know, I, I don't know about you, but like my siblings and I can chat about like, oh yeah, you know, when this parent does that or this parent did this over here, everybody knows it brings us together. Yeah. Uh, and so really all I'm doing is ensuring that they will have lifelong friendships mm-hmm. centered around mom's dysfunctional parenting. You're, you've already like thought through the future. Heck yes. Yes. So but that I can you're sleep welcome, at night. Kids. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. There was a period I felt really bad about all my feelings as a parent. And then I realized, you know what? The Lord uses all things and he's going to use this <laughs> to grow them. And I'm good with that. Good night. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Straight facts from Joanna Hyatt. Straight facts. Here on Wild and Beautiful. Yeah, which is a segue into our topic today because there was a period where I really doubted how much I was Mm. screwing up my children. And now I've just come to embrace the fact that God is holy and infinite and sovereign and I am flawed. And it didn't matter which kids he gave me, I was going to mess it up anyway. And he knew that. And so he gave me kids who could (laughs) withstand my parenting. Yeah, But doubt, doubt creeps in all areas. And today we're specifically looking at doubt and faith, but it's probably a whole different episode on doubt and parenting. (laughs) Well, that'll be one for another day. Doubt and parenting and marriage. Yeah. Doubt in your everyday life. Like just wondering if you're getting any of it right. Yeah. I don't, most of the time I'm pretty sure I'm not, but that's okay. We have a merciful God who gives us second chances that we don't deserve. And we wanted to touch on doubt in this period after Easter, but before, what is it? Tell me what's the official name in the Catholic calendar or the liturgical calendar of like the Ascension. Yes, before Pentecost. That period where we all have our favorite poster child of doubt. Mm -hmm. Doubting Thomas. Exactly. Yes. Love him. It felt like it fit. It really fit. Yeah. He's kind of like our mascot, those of us that have had doubts. Joe, you've never had any doubts about your faith, right? I came so close to losing it all, all of it. Denzo. Just it was, peace. I'm done with being a Christian. Yeah, it was no, fun like, while it lasted. It was just like, it was like, I just am not sure. And and I think we, we maybe don't see that. People, you know, you you may see us or you, you're like, no, guys, gigs up. But um <laughs> You know, you see people at certain seasons of their life, and usually the more um, outspoken they are, you, you see them and you think, oh, wow, they're really confident. They're really, they, they must have always been this. Mm-hmm. And rarely do we come forward in our seasons of massive insecurity or doubt. And, and you know, there have been some people in the last few years that public figures that come forward and say, I'm done with the whole thing. Uh, you know, they basically take their doubt and they take their questions and they go a different direction. And mm-hmm. the thing is with doubt in faith is everybody has doubts. Everybody mm-hmm. has questions. And you can either allow your doubt to drive you away from God mm-hmm. or towards God. Right. 100%. Interestingly, Joe, I knew I was going to win you over at some point. Because what you're saying is basically what the catechism teaches about doubt. <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad the Protestants aren't that far off. <laughs> no way. 
So we believe in the same Ten Commandments and the teaching that we have on doubt. It falls under the first commandment. I think we have the same first. I know some of them are we numbered have the same different. Ten commandments. We have the same. Oh my goodness! No, I know, but some of them are numbered differently in oh, our Bibles. Okay, but the first, the number one <laughs> is the same for both of us. I think. I love the Lord your God. God you okay, no God's being yeah, for me. Good, good. Right, right, right. Like, do you have like 12 so, commandments? I feel like Catholics would have an extra couple ones on there. Probably. Well, we, yeah, we probably do. Some like, you know, the secret menu at Starbucks. Yes. We've got a Catholics few have the secret, secret Ten Commandments menu. Yeah. The guilt <laughs> menu. That's exact. Yes. We're going to have to do an episode on that. I'm so here for this. So the first commandment tells us to love God with all of our hearts because he's the God who brought us out of Israel and out of Egypt into Israel. And he brings us out of our sin and into relationship with him in our own lives. And we talk about doubt as kind of like a subcategory of faith because the first commandment calls us to faith, hope, and love. Mm. And The Catechism in paragraph 2088 says the first commandment requires us to nourish and protect our faith with prudence and vigilance and reject anything that is opposed to it. There are various ways of sinning against the faith. So doubt can fall into different categories. Doubt kind of itself is a morally neutral thing to experience because we're rational creatures and God doesn't make mistakes. And when he created us, he created us with a will and rationality so that we could think through his creation and think through questions of existence and question our reality. And people are going to land on different sides of different questions, and that's okay. Whether our opinion is right or wrong, there is an objective truth. The truth is that God exists. And um, the way that we respond to reality, I think it's an invitation. When we have doubts, Mm. we can view them as an invitation to grow closer in love to God and to practice the virtue of faith. Because if we never have to practice this virtue, then what's the point? So voluntary doubt and involuntary doubt are the way that the categories are broken up in the catechism. It says voluntary doubt about the faith disregards or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed and the church proposes for belief. So it, there's this act of the will where you're having a question and rather than using your rationality to work through it or kind of bend your will in the direction of God, you're refusing to factor God into this equation. Involuntary doubt, on the other hand, refers to hesitation in believing difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity. If deliberately cultivated, doubt can lead to spiritual blindness. I love this line, or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity, because Lord knows we have all (laughs) faced those questions. So do you have, you have a personal anecdote, Joe? Have you faced this conundrum? Well, I was going to clarify on that one. That sounds like when people have fear and anxiety, which we intellectually know, Scripture says, do not fear. It says it mm-hmm. 365 times, 365 yes. times, I think. That makes me think of a quote by Oswald Chambers, who, at least for the evangelicals, he's like, you know, one of those spiritual giants of the faith. He wrote my utmost for his highest And one of the things he said is, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. And so often, uh, you know, 
I, I can only speak, of course, to the more Protestant evangelical tradition. So often we are not raised and encouraged to have questions. And so the minute those doubts begin to creep in, you think, oh no, all of this is wrong. The fact that I'm questioning whether God exists or whether God sent his son or that Jesus matters must mean that it's not real. And we haven't been equipped and taught how to successfully navigate our doubts. And so unfortunately, a lot of times, because we haven't been taught how to deal with our doubts, we don't see them as opportunities to just better know and understand our faith. And, you know, at the end of my freshman year of college was where I had that moment where it's like, either I'm going to go for this or we're walking away from the whole thing. And there were other periods later on in my life where you, you grow more deeply of like, how in am I um, on this faith thing? But I went to a secular college. I went to a college where there was not even a pretense of being like a faith-based, you know, there's a like intervarsity or crew, but, but the whole setup, I mean, when I was touring the college, I remember seeing cases of alcohol under people's beds and just looking at my dad and being like, I'm not going to fit in here. And he said, no, you're not. And so I went because that is me to, <laughs> to go to a place where I know I'm not going to fit. Um, but it was a year of really hammering down my faith of people just constantly being like, why do you, how are you 18 and you still believe this? And so being the smart aleck that I am, I would just spit back. How are you 18 and you don't believe this? Uh, because, you know, going into college, I was like, I know that there's a logic to this. And I had done this wonderful two-week apologetics course called Summit Ministries. And so I was ready, but then what I was not ready for was a year of just getting, just basically my faith pounded out of me. And so by the time I got to the end of the year, I went home and the only thing I knew to be true was that God existed. And that was it. Like I couldn't have, I, I, at that moment, I, I couldn't tell you if Jesus was real. I couldn't tell you if I wanted to follow it. I, all I knew is yes, God exists. So I'm not an atheist. I'm not arrogant enough to think I know everything in the universe. I'm not. Okay. But that's all I have. And as a pastor's kid who has lived your whole life steeped in the church, it's terrifying and it felt isolating. And I thought, okay, I can't breathe a word of this to anybody because, oh my goodness, this will reflect so poorly. And I remember sitting with my my dad, pastor, and we're sitting, I know exactly where we're sitting. We're eating pie. <laughs> Gotten home from college that first year. And he said, so how's your faith? And it's a very normal question in our family to just be like, how are you doing? And I sat there in that moment. I remember thinking I can either be honest or I can BS this. And I went honest. I said, I don't know if any of this is true other than God is, is real. And that's about the only thing I can say for certain that I believe in. And all he said was, is this the first time? I'm thinking, oh no, I've disappointed him. And I said, I said, yes. He said, yeah, you're going to face this about a hundred more times in your life. And then goes right back <laughs> to eating his pie. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of like finding my way back because it was so reassuring to hear like, wait, what? Like, mm -hmm. this is normal? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Then instead of allowing my doubts to drive me away from God, which is what mm -hmm. the atheist does, I'm going to use my doubts to drive me back to God. And really what it was is, you know, at that point, and that's, I think, why we see so many people who walk away from their faith when they graduate from high school, because you, at a certain point, have to build this as your own. And that was what it took for me, is 
it had been my parents' faith, it had been my community's faith, and I was I was benefiting off of that. But there came a point where I had to break it and rebuild it mm-hmm. for myself to say, like, no, this is my relationship with Jesus yeah. Christ. This is my faith that I'm choosing to pursue, and I'm deciding to submit and surrender my life. And I will take those questions and I'm, I will wrestle with them. And some I might find answers to and some I might not. Yeah. But uh, the thought of a life apart from Christ was more terrifying to me yeah. than a life with Christ with unanswered questions. That's very relatable. I think a lot of us go through that journey in our faith walk where we kind of have to make a decision that I might not understand always with my rational mind the re- the answer to all of these questions. And I can continue to explore those answers. I can consult scripture and ask my pastor, and I can read the catechism in my case. Thomas Aquinas, he spent his whole life writing answers to questions about the faith. But at a certain point, there's also just resting in that relationship that you have with God, that in a sense, it's on another level than your rational brain. It's like we have such a hard time, especially in the modern culture, remembering that what we can see and touch and fully wrap our heads around and apply the scientific method to, that's not the only type of reality or knowledge that exists. And I know when I've encountered difficulties in my own faith, and I've experienced doubts at different points in my life, I can say that the doubts hit me harder and put my faith in greater jeopardy during times when my relationship with God wasn't as strong. And I, and now having been married for a decade, I can kind of see a parallel to marriage. When I was 24, standing at the altar— I didn't know what I was promising when I promised for poorer, we got poor. <laughs> when I promised for for healthy in sickness and in health, I didn't know what that sickness was going to look like. And that sickness came. You don't know what you're signing up for, but what you know is that you love this person. And there's going to be attractive people that come along and there's going to be hard periods that you go through. And it's not your rational brain and knowing the answers to your doubts that's going to sustain you through those difficult periods. It's how much you love the person that you signed up to stand with, knowing when you took the vows, even then, that you didn't really know what they entailed, but you knew you loved them. And I I feel like it's that way with God. So I don't think the answer to doubt is having the reference book to know where all the answers to your questions are. Although, of course, like I said, Scripture, great place to start. It's knowing that no matter what doubts and questions come along, what's deeper than those questions and doubts is this relationship of love. And at a at its core, love is an act of the will. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that you make and you stick to it. And faith is a gift. Some of us will be gifted with more of it or less of it. And so everyone's journey is going to look different. But what I think we can all benefit from is just sustaining the relationship with the one that we love. That's going to be the best safeguard, I think, as we face these challenges. 
And we're promised when it comes to faith, you know, if any of you asks, God will give generously. And you even see Jesus um, in Mark 9, you know, the, the disciples come, well, there's this whole hullabaloo and just like, what is the problem? You just can almost see him being like, guys, what's happening? And this dad comes forward and he says, well, I asked, I asked your disciples to heal my son. He, he has this, um, he's been possessed and uh, I have it open here. And, um, and he says, so, so what's the problem? You know, he foams at the mouth, all this stuff, but your disciples couldn't do it. And so they bring the, the demon possessed child to Jesus. And Jesus says, how long has he been like this? Here's the man's response. From childhood, mm. he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Here's the kicker. How many of you can relate with the, what the father's about to say? But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus' response, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, yeah. the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And that that needs to be our heart cry when we are in those seasons of doubt, I do believe. I know I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. To quote Mr. Ozzy again, Chambers, Oswald Chambers. <laughs> uh, you know, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. And that I think is what is so distinguishing is that we are not putting our, our faith into a God that we do not know. We can put our faith into a God whose character is steadfast and unchanging. And, you know, I've been reading through the Old Testament and he says, you know, I will, I will hold basically your sins against you to the fourth generation, but my love for a thousand generations. So the God that we are putting our character, our confidence in is a God who, who is extravagant and generous in his love. He is just, but we would want a just God and, and he is. He is mighty, but we would not want a small God. We would not want a God who who is impotent and couldn't do anything. And so when people try to box God in to say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't be here. So I'm going to put you in this box that I can understand because all the questions make me nervous or, or just leave me a little shaken. The reality is that's not a God to believe in. We put our faith in a character that is beyond our understanding and yet gives us such confidence and peace. And so when we cry out, I do believe, I believe that you exist. I know these things to be true about you. Help me with my unbelief. He promises that he will, that he will meet us in that moment. Um, You know, ask and then watch, watch Mm. him begin to grow your faith. Like the kid I was at 18 and now here I am 18 years later. Look at that. (laughs) Y'all can do the math. Um, it is stunning to me and it is also so encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to go back to that 18-year-old and say, like, don't give up. Just mm-hmm. keep going. And I'm glad she didn't give up. But to say, like, oh, there is there is a sweetness coming, but it will be born through so much more trial mm-hmm. and so much more difficulty. Yeah. And just know that that is a God who loves you enough to call you into doubt that will lead to deep faith. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation, it, mm-hmm. and not that we would ever pray to have doubt, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, but the reality is that as rational creatures, we are going to have questions, and God made us that way. Yeah, uh, you know, it, in the story of doubting Thomas, which is in John chapter twenty, um, it, evidently, I just noticed this little detail today. 
Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared. And then it was a week. I thought it was like the next day. It was a week before Jesus came back and Thomas was there. I don't know what Thomas was doing all this time. I think the first time he was just like, these people are crazy. They're hallucinating. I'm going to go take a vacation. I need to get away from these people. I'll be back in a week. (laughs) He comes back a week later. Jesus comes, goes right up to Thomas, says, put your finger here and see my hands. Because Thomas had said, "Uh, unless I can touch him, I ain't going to believe what you guys are saying. He put his hand in Jesus's side and his hands. And Jesus told him, do not be unbelieving, but believe. Mm. Like this is a command. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus kind of chides him. He doesn't say like, oh, come here. Let me give you a hug. Everything is great. He's like, have you come to believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And it goes on to say, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in these in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. What I think is cool about this is it doesn't say through this belief, you can know all the answers to all the questions. Through this belief, you can overcome all of your doubts. It, it says, yes, I'm going to give you this to sustain you. I'm going to show you these miracles. I'm going to give you this scripture. I'm going to create this connection with you that's tangible, that you can read about and hear the story and the history. There will be oral tradition. But ultimately, this isn't all just for your like head knowledge. This is for you to have life in his name. And I don't know why I thought of this while I was preparing for this episode, but I started thinking about Ruth and Naomi Mm -hmm. and this passage in Ruth that we actually read at our wedding um, where Ruth is insisting that she's going to stay with Naomi, even though Naomi wants her to just pursue her best life and not be bogged down, right? But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to, that she was determined to go with her. She said no more to her. She just gave up because Ruth is just like, dude, I'm coming with you. It's like uh, Sam and Frodo when Frodo goes on his journey. (laughs) I know, but I'm coming with you. And there's nothing Frodo could do about it. Sam was coming. And I feel like that has to be our attitude with God when we have this invitation Mm -hmm. that is presented by a doubt that we're having to immediately turn to this attitude of, yes, I'm having this doubt. I have a question. I'm going to look for the answer. But no matter what the answer to my question is, what I know deeper than any head knowledge is that I love this God and that He loves me. And we're going to get through this. And I'm not going anywhere because I think that is the kind of like obstinate faith that God is asking from us. It's like in a marriage where you say divorce is not an option. So no matter what, yes. like what fights we have, like this, this is not getting thrown exactly. out, whether as a joke or as a threat. And it's the same thing. It's like, God, I'm never going to quit you. You're never going to quit me. So if, if we know that is both our starting and our ending point, then there is a security as you find those answers. I also think you see with the story of Ruth and Naomi, you see with Thomas, community is essential to moving us through our faith. Uh, you know, Naomi, Naomi 
comes back and just is like, call me Mara. I am bitter. I mean, it's just like Debbie <laughs> Downer. Whoa. And yet by the end, because of Ruth's faith and Ruth's insistence to not give up on a God that was not uh, her own initially, mm-hmm. Naomi comes back to faith. And Thomas, you know, Thomas is probably off trying to rationalize this whole thing. He's like, listen, somebody's got to do the work around here. I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> so he's not in community with anybody. And he's over there like downward spiraling and he missed out on seeing Jesus. And community matters because when we are weak in our faith and we all have those seasons, mm-hmm. we need the people around us to champion to challenge and to remind us of what God has done. This is why, for instance, I love journaling because it Mm -hmm. is a reminder of what God has done. So in that moment when you're thinking, God doesn't love me, this isn't going anywhere, he doesn't care for me. Then you open up your journal and you're like, I'm an idiot. He has been there a thousand million Mm -hmm. times. And and if you don't journal, then you absolutely need the people around you to say, yeah, but but look what God did in my life here and Mm -hmm. here and in your life. And, And on the whole of history, when you look at what people have done in the name of Jesus Christ and how, we're not going to get into it today, but how Christianity and the gospel has transformed cultures and systems for good. Mm-hmm. Like that that for me on those days, when I'm like this whole thing. I'm like, no, it couldn't, it could not change the world and it could not change so many people in so many different circumstances if it were not real. People would not die the horrendous deaths that they have died if it were not real. And that's where the Catholics, you guys are really good because you have all the saints and they all die horrible deaths. And so you have this great... (laughs) They didn't all die horrible (laughs) deaths. A lot of them did. A lot of the main ones, it doesn't end well. They make jokes in the fire and they get My patron saint, you can turn me over. I'm done on this side while they were grilling him to death. I think there's one, I always see him in the museum. He has like arrows hanging out Saint of him. Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not ever real pretty. And you're like, <laughs> but they did that. I mean, even the prophets, the way they were killed and the apostles, I think you don't do that for a lie. Yeah, every nerve in their body was screaming out. All you have to say is that you renounce Christ. Like, why aren't you just saying the words? And it's because it's beyond, it's beyond just saying words. It's beyond a question that our rational Mm -hmm. mind can wrap our heads around. Mm -hmm. When you love somebody, it will make you do crazy things. (laughs) And that's what these martyrs did. The, The example of the martyrs, you're right, is such a good witness and Maybe we won't be martyred, hopefully not. I don't know whether to wish for that or not. Some some saints prayed for it and got their fingers chewed off by Iroquois Indians, but I'm not ready. I'm not at a place in my faith to pray for that yet. Um, I just want to know about succumb. the people having to do the chewing. Ew. Right. Mm. Ew. <laughs> I don't really feel sorry for them, but no. okay. Well, I- yeah. But, you know, even though, even though we probably won't have our fingers chewed off, you never know, but what we do have the opportunity to do is something that's still a little uncomfortable, but really powerful. And that is as intelligent, hopefully rational individuals, not being afraid to talk about Jesus and how much we love him and our faith journey around people. Because I think if they can see people that they recognize as fellow rational human beings who are having this relationship with Jesus that um, transcends the the rational, intelligent part of us sometimes, um, they might be empowered or encouraged to pursue that in their own life. Or if they are believers, maybe they will 
get the mo- the uh, encouragement that they needed to overcome a rough patch in their own faith walk. So like you were talking about community, I just think it's so important that we're living our faith loudly, not obnoxiously, but not apologetically because we can encourage others with it. And that matters for this time we're living in. You know, if you've been listening with us, you know that we did an episode recently on how as we are we as believers going to have to start living more bravely in this culture um, as as culture increasingly becomes more hostile and and that will stir up doubts and we know that as the end draws near whenever that is that people will fall away from their faith um, but that doesn't have to be you and you don't have to be afraid that that's going to be you if you know that there's a you know what's the beginning and the end I'm following God, even if I don't always understand the middle part. I'm rooted in community that's going to continue to speak and point me back to truth. And I'm not going to be afraid of the questions because I'm going to allow the questions and the doubts to push me towards Christ, not away from Christ, not away from God. And, you know, it's again, it's our, it's our attitude and our heart position, but the world is going to increasingly give us reason to deny Christ in order to, you know, delay or or avoid temporary discomfort um but but don't buy it don't buy that lie don't don't buy that the temporary pain is somehow the only pain you need to be afraid of and instead to say no like with paul let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us run well this week this year run well in 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 how we parent and how we do relationship so that we can take as many people with us uh, Mm -hmm. to heaven, uh, but be sober-minded and aware and know uh, enough that when those doubts come in, how are you going to tackle? How are you going to face them head on and allow them to propel you even further forward in your journey of faith? Love it. Yep. There's a prayer. I just want to close with this. It might not appeal to everyone, but it's a prayer I have prayed Thousands of times, (laughs) anytime a question of this nature comes into my head, and it's a prayer from St. Teresa of Avila, who was pretty cheeky herself. Lord, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. I think it's a great prayer for some of us. That maybe this is not a prayer for everybody. It's a good prayer for some of us when those doubts come into our head. It's an honest prayer, and those are the best kind. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share this with friends who themselves may be struggling with a little bit of doubt and need some encouragement on the journey.